Thank you so much. What a beautiful, beautiful song. Two back to back. His mercy is more and then to turn our eyes towards Jesus. And that's what I pray that we will do right now in this moment of time that we would turn our eyes to Jesus. It's good to see each and every one of you again. Uh, I've had many people ask, thank you. I am uh, I, I'm trending upward. I feel a lot better. And uh, it is good to be in the Lord's house. It is good to uh, see you out this morning. If you have your Bible, and I pray that you do, as I always say, turn with me to Psalm 24 this morning. Psalm 24 in the precious Word of God. And as you're turning, whether you know it or not, um, our message series, Carpe Diem, which literally comes from that Latin phrase, which means to seize the day, has really been all about stewardship. It's actually been about stewardship. And as soon as any pastor, it doesn't matter whether it's me or any other pastor, as soon as you hear the word stewardship, most people in their mind's eye, they gravitate to thinking about their wallet, uh, their checkbook, or their purse. But I can assure you, take a breather, <laughs> relax, because that's not what stewardship is all about. Uh, stewardship is many faceted things, and uh, it merely speaks of our responsibility as managers of the things that we have been blessed with. And as I have previously stated, when we started out this series of Carpe Diem at the beginning of the new year before I got sick, uh, I said to you from 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 10 that we as believers, we're to minister one to, no, to one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, as those who have been trusted with spiritual, temporary, ordinary, and yes, even sometimes extraordinary gifts Man, we're, we're to use those things because here's the cool thing. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Some of you got excited about that. Some of you are like, ugh, ugh. Is this what we're talking about today? We're ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And the cool thing is whether the gift is ordinary, whether it's a temporary gift, whether it is something that becomes extraordinary. By the way, if something is extraordinary in your life, you can be sure that you had nothing to do with it. Sorry to burst your bubble. You say, well, Pastor, I'm a pretty extraordinary person. So is my wife when the Lord works through her. <laughs> She's extraordinary all the time. Don't get me wrong. By the way, I don't like sleeping on the couch. <laughs> the reality is that we have a wonderful opportunity. Carpe diem to seize the day. To make a difference in the lives of people that we come into contact with. Listen, we live in a world where people need to know that Jesus loves them. They really do. They need to know that Jesus loves them. Truly, stewardship includes much more than what we think. It includes the Word of God, which is why our very first message, if you go all the way back to the beginning of January... Our very first message was the talking, I talked to you about the requirement that we have as believers and as, quote, stewards to share the gospel. We then looked at our, 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 from scripture, we were reminded of our responsibility to live and to love God supremely. And then we had a little bit of a hiccup with my health and that's okay. And Travis filled the pulpit and Colby filled the pulpit and it was great, amen? They did a wonderful job and I was watching with you and... Uh, then we got back on track on Super Bowl Sunday, and we talked about Jonah, his four quarters of football in his life, where he ran 
from God. He ran for God. He, he ran to God. He ran for God. But remember, at the end of, in the fourth quarter of Jonah's story, he was buttoned heads with God. He ran into God. And then last week, we talked about the idea of pursuing godliness. And the, and the reality is that if you and I have a biblical desire to do what is right biblically, what I said last week is actually true. See, if I desire to do what God says, then at some point, it's going to bubble over. It's going it's to come out. And you're going to be able to see that I not only have that desire, but it's going to become displayed for all to see. And it's not about me. It's about the one who lives inside of me. And so we talked about that. And this morning it's interesting that just before we sang Turn Your Eyes Towards Jesus, Colby mentioned the generosity. The generosity of God. And actually, whether he knew it or not, in his opening text and as he was closing in his Sunday school lesson, Joe really was talking about, in that class, he was talking about the generosity of God and how when we consider the generosity of God, it should color or dictate our worldview. And so this morning, I want us to continue our Carpe Diem series by considering our duty, but also our opportunity that we have as stewards to exercise generosity. Now, don't everybody get up and walk out at one time. Look with me at Psalm 24. And I'm only, listen, you came at a great day. I'll be honest with you, you came at a great day. There are no points. There are no poems. There's not three points in a poem. And guess what? My text is one verse. And you're like, no, no, there's got to be more verses. There will be more verses. <laughs> but my main text is one simple verse. And I think we really need to take a, Second, to see if we can grasp it this morning in its totality of importance for our lives. Psalm 24, notice what God's Word has to say in verse number 1. The Bible says, the earth, uh-oh, the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Last week, look at it again. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Last week we began by looking at two times in Scripture. We looked at 1 Samuel 13, you remember, and we looked at Acts chapter 13 in the New Testament. So we looked at Old Testament, and then we looked in the New Testament where David was referred to as a man, what? After what? God's own heart. So we saw Old Testament Remember the prophet Samuel's telling Saul that your kingdom is going to disappear. You're not going to be the king of Israel anymore. And the reason is because you have disregarded, you've disobeyed God's word. And so guess what, Saul? Good job, but guess what? Your kingdom's coming to an end. And what did Samuel tell King Saul? He said, for God has found him a man after his own heart. And if you jump to the New Testament, Acts chapter 13, David's in Antioch. And he's telling the church at Antioch, he's talking about and referring to the reason why God chose David. And he says that God chose David because he was a man after his own heart that would fulfill all of God's will. So we looked at the fact that David was a man after God's own heart. But if you remember, we also we're reminded from Scripture that David was also a man who struggled with sin. Anybody been there? You know, 
A lot of times as believers, we get that halo on and we think we're doing great things. But the reality is all of us are nothing more than sinners who've been saved by the amazing grace of God. Before you think you're something, take heed lest you fall. Right? And so we talked about the fact that David struggled with sin. He had, he had trouble with lust. He had trouble with adultery. He had trouble with murder. He had, you know what he had a problem with? He had a problem that all of us sometimes get. He had a problem with pride. Remember, he had a problem with pride. By the way, David didn't handle his family well at all. He had multiple wives. Let me just stop right here. That's a problem. All right? If some of you are thinking about that, that's a problem. One is enough. Okay? I can assure you. <laughs> David was also given to wander from the Lord. So let me ask the question, because I asked myself the question, why David? Why does God put up David as a man after his own heart? God, why don't you give us, because David was a guy who struggles with sin, so God, why don't you give us another man or another woman in your text as a person who had a heart for you? It was Chuck Swindoll. He wrote in a book about David. He said there were three reasons that he believed that God chose David, and, and the three reasons that he believed David was a man after God's, home, uh, God's own heart. And he said the first reason was David's spirituality. You see, Chuck Swindoll said the reality of David's life is that whatever God asked David to do, watch this, whatever God asked David to do, that's exactly what David did. And so God could trust him spiritually. By the way, that's all that God desires of you and me. As well, and as believers, you know, hearing and heeding the word of God is not an optional sport. Think about that for a second. As, as children of the king, hearing and heeding his word is not an optional part of the believer's walk. It's actually, I put it in my notes, and I'm trying to get as far away because it, it was glaring at me all week. It's kind of mandatory. It's actually mandatory. If we're going to walk with the Lord, we got to... Be hearing and heeding his word. Swindoll went on and stated that the second reason that God chose David as a man after his own heart was that God could see David's humility. You think about it, David, he's, vault, he's, he's lifted up and he's established as one of the great kings in the history of Israel as a nation. But the reality is David also still, even as king, he had a servant's heart. Something we ought to ask ourselves the last thing that Swindoll said was that it was all about David's integrity. And I was reading in Scripture in Psalm 78, we're told there in that passage as well how God chose David. And when you get to the end of Psalm 78, here's what the psalmist says in Psalm 70 and verses 70, 71, 72. Here's what the Bible says. It says, he or God chose David also his servant, there it is again, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes, great with young, female sheep there for those who are looking for a translation, ewes, great with young, so he brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. Look at verse 72. So he fed them according to, watch this, the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. You see, David had an obedient heart. He had a servant's heart, but he also had a perfect heart because it says here he was going to feed them according to the integrity or the perfection of his heart. And you say, no one's perfect. No, no one's perfect, but our hearts are made perfect because of what God does inside of our hearts.
And so God could trust David. I put in my notes that God is still looking. He's still looking today. On February the 27th in 2022, he's still looking for people who are deeply spiritual, people who are sincerely humble, and people who are committed servants to serve him with hearts who have been made perfect and upright. Remember, we talked last week about our walk. We talked about our works. And we talked about our words. Be careful, little tongue, what you say. For the Father up above is looking down in love. But here's what I also see in the totality of Scripture. David not only had an obedient heart, a servant's heart, and a perfect heart. David also had, here it is, catch it. He had a generous heart. He was a man after God's own heart because he had a generous heart. You see, he understood the generosity of God and he allowed it to play out in his life. In fact, if you go back to the message last week and if you weren't here, you can go and listen to it and torture yourself if you'd like. But you think about it, the reality is that David, he brings the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. All right, And so, remember I told you there was a great celebration because of the presence of God had been brought back to Jerusalem. But what did David build for the Ark of the Covenant? He has a what built? A tent. And so after everything is over, everybody's finished celebrating, here's what the Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 7 in verses 1 and 2. Here's what it says. It says, And it came to pass when the king, speaking of David, sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest around about him from all of his enemies, that he said unto Nathan the prophet, watch this, See now. He said, There's a problem. He says, See, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God, or the presence of God, actually dwells within curtains. And so here's the point, guys. And you can go on and read that passage if you want. The point is that David says, hold on a second, this is not right. It's not right that God, the presence of God at that time, should dwell in a tent when I live in this great big palace. So David says to Nathan, he says, I think we ought to build a temple. And if you go on reading that passage in verse number 3, Nathan tells David, he says, hey, guess what? Go ahead and do what's in your heart. He says, go ahead and do it. But then, you know, as soon as Nathan tells David to do it, God tells Nathan, listen, you don't make the decisions. I do. And God turns around and he tells David, no, you're not going to build the temple. Let me ask a question. Has God ever said no to you? Anybody? You know, you got, anybody have their own plans today? You got some plans today? I do. Listen, I got some plans. I, after, after service, I'm going to eat lunch. Because my stomach is already growling, and yours might be growling. And you say, yeah, pastor, could you keep it short? Right? Sometimes we have plans. We say we're going to go this way. Remember Paul said, I'm going to go up this way. I'm going to go up here uh, uh, to Mysia and, and to Bithynia. And God said, no, you're not. No, you're not. I want you to go over this way. You're going to go over to Macedonia. And he heard that Macedonian call. Sometimes God says no. And after God tells David no, here's the reality. And just like David, the same is true for you and me. When God says no sometimes, and I assure you, if you're sitting in here and you're like obstinate and you want to be that guy or that girl, and you're like, nah, pastor, God has never told me no. I got news for you. At some point he will tell you no. 
If your life has been all yeses up to this point, get ready. At some point, God will tell you no. And here's the reality. Just like David, he had a choice. He could either get bitter. Have you ever gotten bitter when God says no? God says, no, you're not going to do it. And, and we stomp around. We're like, oh, daggone, I had, I had my plan. I'm going to do what I want to do. And God, God shut that door, and he doesn't want me to do this. And he doesn't want... Have you ever had that happen? Or maybe you didn't stomp around. You said, well, I'm not a stomper. No, maybe you do this. God doesn't love me anymore. He won't let me do it. I'm going to do what I want and he won't let me do it. Listen, we can either get better or we can stay bitter. And the beautiful thing about David's life, a man who has an obedient heart, a servant's heart, a perfect heart because God had changed his heart and he had a generous heart, is that in this moment he makes the right choice and chooses to exercise generosity. In fact, if you read in Scripture, the Bible reveals how David actually starts to prepare. He starts to give towards the building of a temple. Now think about this. He starts to prepare and set aside and give for a temple that he'll get no credit for. Why? Because his son is going to be tasked with building the temple. In fact, Larry said it. We were talking about this message yesterday. He said it's referred as Solomon's temple, not David's. But if you go to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, you actually see where David, he actually tells the people. He says, man, we're going to prepare. We're going to prepare with all of our heart. We're going we're to build this temple. We're going to prepare for this temple. And he keeps on moving forward. He talks about gold, uh, setting aside gold for the things that will be gold and silver for the things that will be silver and iron and brass and wood. He talks about onyx stones. He talks about glistering stones of many colors. He talks about precious stones and marble stones. He goes on, and in that passage, in verse 3 through 5 of 1 Chronicles 29, God's word says this, that David had, watch it, had set his affection. Hold on. Isn't that what we just sang about? Turn your eyes toward Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light and the glory of his grace. David, it says in 1 Chronicles, it's amazing. If you haven't read the passage, you got to go there because it excites the people. But in verse 3 through 5, it says that he set his affection to the house of God. And so here's what he does. Instead of just talking about something, he gives generously. He keeps on giving. And the Bible talks about that he gave gold and silver. He gave this astronomical offering for God's temple that his son would build and he would not. By the way, I have a note for you. And uh, guys, if you'll show it, the reality is for you and I, biblical generosity, biblical generosity will only happen when our affection is set on Jesus. You're not going to be generous to one another. You're not going to be generous to, to, to the work of the Lord. You're not going to be a, typically, you're not going to be a generous person unless your affections are set in the right direction. The Apostle Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, 
He said, if ye be then risen with Christ, he said, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. He said, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth, for ye are dead and your life is hid in Christ. And God, listen, is your life hid because of Jesus Christ? Now, what does that mean? That means that when we walk, when we live, when we have our being, are people seeing you and me or are they seeing Jesus? It makes a difference. It really makes a difference. Jesus, he put it this way in Matthew chapter 6. He put it this way by saying in verse 19 and following, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But look at verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Watch the last verse I'm going to share right here. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Oh, my friends, to be sure, whatever you and I treasure the most, it's going to be evident in our lives. Whatever we treasure the most is going to be evident in whether you and I are exercising generosity or whether we do not exercise generosity. Oh, listen, some historians have actually said that David's gift at that time, this, this astronomical giving and generosity that he just kept on setting it aside was the largest financial gift ever given for a singular cause, which is great. But here's what I want to remind you, that the idea of seizing the day or buying up the opportunity to be generous is not about the size or the amount of the gift. Please catch this, because I don't want you to walk out of here and say, yep, I went and I visited that church, and man, I knew it. The one Sunday I show up, that guy's talking about giving money. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm using the example of David's generosity, but that's not what generosity is all about. The size and the amount of the gift, that was great, good. God bless you, David. But it wasn't about the size or the amount of the gift. It was about the fact that he had a generous heart. But even still, why would David want to do something like this? Go back to our text. You know, what's funny is the quietest Sunday of the year is if a pastor ever speaks about generosity. Last week I was talking about uh, desiring to pursue God's will. Everybody's like, amen, brother, amen. And putting it on display and the duration of godliness and everybody was amen and left and right. Today I mentioned exercising generosity. Everybody's ready for lunch. It's amazing how that happens. Look at, look at Psalm 24. Watch, it says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now, there's a reason why I want us to see this verse again. It says, And the, and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. The particular psalm here in Psalm 24, this particular psalm, David is singing, watch this, he's singing a song of celebration. When? When the Ark of the Covenant is returned to Jerusalem. So it's about the time that the ark comes back. It's about the time that he tells Nathan, hey, I want to build a temple. And Nathan says, yeah, go ahead and do it. And then God says, no, that's not his job. I'm in charge and I've got someone else that's going to build the temple. It's about this time that he starts singing this song of celebration. And what's interesting to me is that the very first thing in the midst of his celebration, the very first thing that David mentions, watch it, look at the psalm again, is that everything belongs to the Lord. Everything. 
That's the first thing that he mentions. He's celebrating the fact that the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant of God has been brought back to Jerusalem. He's excited about that. And the very first thing he says is that everything belongs to the Lord. The earth and all the stuff produced in the earth comes from the Lord. In fact, Joe had no idea that he was hitting on some things. But in John 1, in verse number 3, the Bible says all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him, Jesus, were all things created that are heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Look at verse 17. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Listen, he owns it all. And the problem is in this century that we live in, in this time that we live in, we have been duped by the devil. He loves to dupe us. He has convinced us that somehow we deserve what we have. He's convinced us that we own what we have. And he's convinced us that we have earned what we have. Like, I am entitled, pastor. You don't know my life. Let me tell you my truth. I'm so tired of everybody's truth. How about the truth of God's word? Everybody's talking about my truth. Listen, there's no truth in me except for Jesus. This is the only truth that is really worth counting on. But everybody wants to speak their truth. I just keep on trying to point people to the truth of God's word. The reality is the world, we have been duped. I shared with you how David had, had prepared. He had set aside gold and silver, and that's cool, above and beyond. But I was thinking about God actually shares a greater truth in Haggai 2.8. Look at this truth. He says, the silver is mine, David. The gold is mine. You think you're giving me something that is from you. It belongs to me anyway, David. <laughs> hey, guys, this beautiful wood trim that Tim Ridge Creek and his partners put on here, right here in the sanctuary. The beautiful wood trim on the ceilings that he put in as we renovated this place. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous, right? Do you want to know something? That's not Tim's. It's not his wood. That's created from the wood, the trees that God created. God owns those trees. The fibers in these carpets... Guess who owns it? God. Well, you're taking it a little bit too far, Pastor. I mean, I worked hard for my living. I worked hard for my house and my cars and, and everything else. Can I tell you, whatever you think you have and whatever you think you earn, the reality is whether it's your job, your home, your car, your family, your stuff, or whatever, just fill in the blank. Go ahead and make a whole list and fill in the blanks. I'll say plural. The reality is they all belong to God. And the danger that we face is that we don't recognize that everything belongs to God. And when we miss the message of Psalm 24, verse number 1, that everything belongs to God, the reality is we have the potential to miss the mark when it comes to being generous. This is not just a problem in 2022. This was a problem in the Old Testament. Guys, I didn't give you this text, but if everybody, if you have your Bible... Flip all the way back to Deuteronomy 
chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. It's page 137 in your Bibles. I love doing that. I didn't give you this, but I want us to look, beginning in verse number 11. This was a problem. This was a problem even in the Old Testament. And, and you're like, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't read the Old Testament. Well, it will do your soul some good. <laughs> it's okay. Don't worry. It won't hurt. All right? In verse number 11, here God is actually warning the children of Israel through Moses. He says, beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. Verse 12, lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver, watch it, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thy heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage who led thee through the great and terrible wilderness wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought where there was no water who brought thee forth water out of the rock. God's reminding them, look at all the things that I've done for you out of the rock of the flint. Now look at verse 16, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which they started to complain about, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee and that he might prove thee to do good at the latter end. And here's starting to get the key. Look at verse 17. And thou say in thy heart, my power and my might of mine hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he sware unto thy fathers as it is this day. Look at verse number 19. Uh-oh. And it shall be, if thou do it all, forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods, little g, and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that ye shall surely, what does it say? The reason... This came to me last night, right before I was going to bed. You said, what do you think about before you go to bed? <laughs> it's a crazy world up here. Pray for me. <laughs> Pray for me. I get out of bed. I'm like a maniac. I get out of bed, and I'm looking for a scratch piece of paper. And I run, and I get this paper. And here's what I wrote down on this little scrap of paper. The reason we sometimes perish when it comes to being generous is because we have a tendency like Israel of old to forget the Lord our God. We have a tendency to forget the Lord our God. And so look at our text. If we miss the principle in Psalm 24 and verse number 1, we'll never able, truly be able to process real generosity and what it looks like. Think about this, guys. The Bible tells us in 1 John 4, 8 that God is love. Who likes that? Are you thankful that God is love? Come on, be thankful. Are you thankful that God is love? Can we get a holy grunt out of some people today? The very heartbeat, watch this, the very heartbeat 
of God's all-encompassing love, are you ready for it, is generosity. That's the very heartbeat of the God that the Bible says is all about love. It's generosity. As we experience God and His provisions, the cool thing is that we grow in our knowledge and our intimacy with Him. I hear about people saying, man, Pastor, you wouldn't believe, man, my, my knowledge and my intimacy with the Lord is really strong. I'm growing closer and closer to God. But are you more generous now than you were? Because I'm not sure that you can grow in knowledge and intimacy with God if the generosity aspect isn't coming. And you can look this way and you can look that way and you can look, oh my, oh me. The reality is that's biblical. In fact, it's been said generosity is the overflow of a stewardship mindset that says God owns it all and I'm just the manager of the resources in my hand, including my life. Everything we have has been gifted to us. I think about Solomon who knew a little bit about financial blessings. He didn't ask for it, but God blessed him financially. And here's what he says in Ecclesiastes 5.10. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with, is, with increase. This is all vanity. In other words, he's saying this is useless or empty or wasted. So the reality is wherever you and I are setting our affections, it comes into play. And so I ask the question, what is it that we treasure the most? Because Psalm 24 and verse 1 again, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. Or, uh, sorry, that's 23. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell in. By the way, Psalm 23 one's good too. Obviously, we know the earth and all that it produces belongs to God. But look at the end of this verse. It says, The world, here comes the, here comes the tough one. You see the word they? You know who they are? Hold on. Anybody? Pop quiz. <laughs> Pop quiz. Take out a half a sheet of paper. Does anybody know who they are? Us. The world and they that dwell therein. Not only does the world belong to him, but we the people belong to him as well. And as his possession, we are pretty important to God. We're actually really important to God. And Jesus actually takes the opportunity to talk about how important we are. And Jesus shares a lot of the provisions that we have in God. In fact, if you have your Bible, look at Matthew chapter 6. I want you to see a few verses in Matthew chapter 6. He actually talks about how important we are because in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus shares just some. I'm not talking about all. This isn't an all-inclusive, like an all-inclusive resort. This isn't all-inclusive, but these are some of the provisions that God gives us in Matthew chapter 6. Let me turn there with you. Matthew chapter 6, I want you to see. Look over and look down, excuse me, in verse 25. It says, therefore, Jesus, this is Jesus speaking, he says, therefore, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat? Wow. And the body than raiment? He said, behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? 
Verse 28, And why take ye thought for raiment or clothing? Consider the lilies of the fields, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which is today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What ye shall eat, or what we will drink, or wherewithal shall we be with clothes? For if after these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things, look at verse 33, but seek ye first. Number one, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things shall be added unto you. Verse 34, take therefore no thought for the morrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Folks, when we put our gen generous God first, when he becomes uno number one, when we put him first, when we live according to his word, I can assure you he's going to meet your need. You say, why? Not because I say so, because he says so right there. Jesus, who is the word, actually says so. That you don't have to worry about what you're going to wear. You don't have to worry about what you're going to eat. You don't have to worry about all these little things. The birds, they don't do it, and God takes care of them. The lily in the field, God takes care of them. The grass. And on and on. Why does God do this, and why does God promise this? Because verse 20, in Psalm 24, in verse number 1, it says, The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. We belong to Him. My friends, it's been said that a lack of generosity on our part refuses to acknowledge that our assets are not really our own, but God's. You see, generosity, and you say, Pastor... I've never heard quite a message like this that has no points, it has no poems, it has no, and you're just rambling about generosity. Can I assure you that generosity is all throughout Scripture? It's all throughout Scripture. And it's not just, you say, well, yeah, sure, you're just going to keep on throwing the God line that God is love and His all-encompassing love is generous. No, that's not what I'm talking about. There's examples of generous people all throughout Scripture. In fact, guys, put up the list that I put together. You see, the Bible talks about the fact that we find generous people, they often give more than they're asked. In Exodus chapter 36, if you go there and read the story, Moses actually has to tell the people to stop giving for the work of the servants. He has to tell them to stop because they just keep giving and giving and giving. You look at the next one. Uh, generous people give in response to great causes. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, we find that the Macedonian Christians, they gave out of their deep poverty for the work of the ministry and the Jewish people who were hurting in Jerusalem. They gave above and beyond themselves. Why? Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Bible says that they first gave themselves to the Lord. Generous people give sacrificially. Mark chapter 12. You may remember that story. Jesus is sitting over against the treasure and he's looking at everybody coming in and giving to the work of God. And he sees a widow coming and she throws in two mites. All that she had, she gives. She gave sacrificially. Generous people give more than just money. In Luke chapter 10 is the story of the good Samaritan who gave above and beyond just funding for this man to be healed. He gave of himself. He gave of his efforts. He gave of his time. 
and his concern. He showed compassion to the man. Generous people give when it doesn't make sense. Genesis 45 reminds us of Joseph's generosity when his brothers come calling. And he says, come near. And he says, you remember me? <laughs> Can you imagine it? If you don't know the story, you got to read the story. Right? Beginning in, I think it's Genesis 37 and following, Joseph says, come here. Because he's dressed like an Egyptian at this point. So his brothers don't even recognize him. And he says, I am Joseph, your brother. Remember? I'm the one that you beat and threw into the pit. Hey, you remember me? I'm the one you sold into slavery. And because you sold me into slavery, I'm the one who was cast into prison because the man's wife was chasing me and I would not go where she wanted to go. And you remember me? I'm the one that was forgotten by the butler and the baker. You remember me? And he says, but I'm going to love you. It was all God's plan. You're right, Ernie. It wasn't about the army. It was all a part of God's plan. That's an inside comment, but he knows what I'm talking about. Joseph said it's all about God's plan. He orchestrated it all so that I might be used to spare people and to save people. Generous people give to help others. This is a crazy story, and you'll miss it if you don't read the text really carefully. In Luke chapter 7, a Gentile centurion who is wanting his servant to be healed, right? You remember the text? He says, Jesus, I'm not worthy that you would come into my house. But in the middle of this story, we find out that these people are begging Jesus to go heal the centurion's servant. Why? Because this Gentile centurion actually built a synagogue for Jewish people. Why? Yeah, it's right there. you got to read it. It's right in the middle of the text. It says, because he loved them. I thought they were supposed to hate one another. It was generosity that was evident in the Gentile centurion's life. Generous people give to see the impossible become possible. Matthew chapter 14 and other passages remind us of a young boy with two fishes and five loaves who exercised generosity to see people fed and filled. Generous people give to see the impossible not only become possible, but they give after transformation. You remember the story? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in that sycamore tree for the Savior he wanted to see. And as the Savior came that way, right? You remember the story. But you also remember Zacchaeus was a money taker. He was, he was a money collector, and after his transformation, he became generous. After he realized the error of his ways, he went from being a money collector to a money distributor. What a story of generosity. And then generous people, the last one up there is generous people give when others will not. You know, there's some people you can say, man, I just need a little bit of your time. And they say, no. Bro, will you help me with this job? I just need some help. No, I don't have time to help you with that. But you're the only one who knows how to do this. I'm relying on your expertise. You have uh, uh, carpentry skills. You have plumbing skills. You have electrician skills. You have vocal abilities. By the way, if you got some vocal abilities, you need to get on up here in the choir and the praise team. That's a little commercial for you. Anybody here got some diaper changing skills? We can use you in the nursery. That's another message too. But you know what? It really isn't another message because it all stems from what are we treasuring the most? And are we generous people? 
Proverbs 22 and verse number 9 says, He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed. That, that, that phrase, a bountiful eye, is more properly kind of translated as he that is generous. He that is a man or a woman of generosity shall be blessed. Again, the key to David's generosity was twofold. Number one, he understood that everything belonged to God. And number two, his affection was set on the things of God. I put in my notes, what about us? It was Charles Spurgeon who once declared, he said, in all my years of service to my Lord, he said, I have discovered a truth that has never failed and has never been compromised. That truth is that it is beyond the realm of possibilities that one has the ability to outgive God. Even if I give the whole of my worth to him, he will find a way to give back to me much more than I gave. Oh, my friends, when we exercise generosity, when we give ourselves our resources and everything else that we've been blessed with, when we give it to the Lord and we allow the Lord to use it, we are literally, watch it, we are literally following his example. You want to be like Jesus? Exercise generosity. He's our greatest example. God is our greatest example of generosity. In fact, it was said even in the Sunday school hour, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now leave that verse up there because I want to ask you all a question and it's not going to take long for you to figure out. What came first? The giving or the loving? You see, I've often said you can give without loving but you cannot love without giving. God so loved the world that he gave. As men and women, as young people who have been transformed by that love, we have an opportunity. I don't even want to say obligation, although it is an obligation. We have an opportunity today and every day of our lives to grasp the reality that nothing that we have belongs to us and we can exercise generosity with our time. We can exercise generosity with our abilities and gifts that we have been given. We can exercise generosity with our resources. All for God's honor and his glory. Our God has not held anything back, but has freely given us, given us all things. And so I close. If you have never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're here and you're like, man, this is a crazy message. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray that you will understand that it was God's love and God's generosity that sent his only begotten son to this earth to die on a cross for my sin, your sin, the sin of the world. If you've never, never understood that, never recognized that, I pray that today is the day that you'll say, yes, Lord, I get it. I understand your love. I understand your generosity for the first time in my life. And here's what I know. I'm not a very generous person. But, Lord, I'm thankful for your generosity, and I want to receive that generosity today. If you've never trusted Christ, I pray that you make that decision today, whether you're in this room or you're watching online. You say, Pastor, I'm saved. Well, that's great. Maybe you're saved, and you're a benefactor of God's love and his generosity and, but the reality is you know, you know right here, right here, you know if you have a generous heart. You know if you've been exercising generosity in your life. I pray that if you're here 
And you say, I have a relationship with God, but I haven't exercised generosity. I struggle with generosity. Sometimes I'm like this. I know that I need to be open-handed. I, need to, I know that I need to give, but sometimes I'm like this because I'm a, I'm, I'm a little fearful. I'm fearful that the economy will collapse. I'm fearful that my house will go away. I'm fearful that I might have an illness come upon me. I'm fearful that I might lose other family members. Whatever the fear is, can I tell you that God has not given us a spirit of fear? As Larry was talking about yesterday, right? He's given us a spirit of love, power and love and a sound mind. We can trust him to be generous. And so if you struggle with generosity... I assure you that if you set your affection on the Lord Jesus Christ, he will begin. Now you say, man, is it a one-stop shopping thing? And I'm going to be, become generous like overnight? No. But if you commit today and say, God, I want to be generous, I can tell you that he will begin to cultivate, right? Anybody ever used a rotor tiller? After a long, hard winter. You pull that thing out. This is how I look with the rotor tiller. God will begin to cultivate the soil of our hearts. He'll cultivate the soil of your heart so that you will begin to understand. It's not about Pastor Greg. It's not about Battlefield Baptist Church. It's not about the offering boxes. It's not about any of that. It's about exercising generosity in response to a generous God. And when we do that, when we do that, when we start to live that way, I guarantee you, you're not going to have to worry about what you eat, what you're clothed with, what you have. I can assure you in my wife and I's life, God is blessed. Not because we are good, but because, and I'm going to be real transparent. Many of you have heard this story, but because my wife got it. My wife got it before I got it. Can I be real honest with you, men? I didn't get generosity right off the bat. I was a guy who was like, wanted to hold on a little more of me. I wanted to hold on a little more of my time. I wanted to hold on a little more of the resources that God blessed me with. And my wife... God bless you. She said, uh-uh. When the wife says, uh-uh, that's exactly what she means. She said, we're going to do right. It was my wife who made that first decision. That said, no, enough of this, enough of this nonsense. We're in it together. We're going to do right. We're going to exercise generosity. We're going to give to the Lord's work. We're going to give to others when we can. We're going to put it out there for God to use and for God to bless. And can I tell you, I was a nervous wreck for three years. Scared. And I don't even know what happened. It was a God thing. I just said, okay, Lord, I don't understand what you're doing. But you've gotten rid of all of our debt in the past three years. You see, we made the mistake that a lot of young couples do. We thought we needed to have everything right then and there. 
And God said, guess what? I got a better plan for you. I'm going to get rid of it all. And then I said, you know what? I, I said, babe, I said, you need to help me with this. You're an accountant. And we started doing things God's way. And we have never looked back. Again, that's not a testimony to us. It's a testimony to him. Because he changed, really, my heart about it all. And I started singing in the choir. I started serving in Sunday school. I started going in camps with teens and kids. They didn't want me in camp, but I went anyway. Started going on mission trips. Thought that was crazy. Yeah, Gordon's back there smiling. He's like, yeah, right. We didn't want you on that teen camp. We let you go. We threw you a bone. <laughs> and I look back, and now I'm standing behind this sacred desk talking to you about generosity. That blows my circuit breakers. Why would God allow me to talk to anybody about generosity? Because he cares for me and he cares for you. Father, we love you. God, we thank you. We thank you that we have an opportunity to turn our eyes toward you. We thank you for your generosity. We thank you for your love. The fact that you loved first and then you sent and gave your only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God, we thank you for your generous nature each and every day for withholding judgment Lord, exercising mercy each and every day of our lives. Lord, I pray that you'll sink this message into the depths of our heart. That not only will we be obedient people and men and women who are willing to be servants and men and women whose hearts have been made perfect by the love and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but God, that we would begin to exercise generosity, understanding that it all flows from you anyway. Lord, I pray that you'll have your will in your way. God, as we have an opportunity to come to your altar to praise you, we have an opportunity to come to your altar to pray and lift up our petitions to you. Lord, we have an opportunity to come forward to, to join along with like-minded believers. Lord, we have an opportunity to come and make our public statement of faith. Lord, I pray that you will do those things as you see fit in our lives. God, may you be honored and glorified. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.